Welcome to the MedMan Podcast, a podcast focused on helping you level up your practice. I'm Jesse Arnoldson. And I'm Jay Holmes. Through interviews with some of the most successful leaders in the industry, we help uncover resources, tools, and ideas to help you level up. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoyed today's program. Hello, and welcome to the MedMan Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Arnoldson. Today, I am joined by a very good friend, Jason Orman from Eastern Idaho. He works for Bingham Memorial Hospital and is the PSO Director of Business Development and Analytics over in Pocatello. Jason, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jesse. I'm so excited to get you here. Just for everybody, I met Jason when I was an intern in Pocatello, and I got to sit in a couple of committee meetings that he was a part of. And actually, the very first person who ever uttered the words medman to me was you. And, and you, you know, I was asking you career advice and where to go. And it was you from the very beginning. You're like, man, you should check out Medman. Talk to Jim Trounson. Here's a Thanksgiving card of him with an airplane. This, this is where you need to go. <laughs> infamous Christmas card. Yeah. So I owe you a deep gratitude for first turning me on to Medman. So thank you. You bet. Well, Jason, tell me, you know, let's, let's get started with just what got you into healthcare and what got you where you are? Yeah, that's that's uh, an interesting and fun little story. So originally, I I set out in my wonderful career to actually be a general contractor and land developer of all things, and that was my plan B after I realized that I didn't want to be an architect sitting at a desk all the time. Fast right. years later, here I am sitting at a desk a lot of times. <laughs> so I had a great career building homes and working heavy equipment and loved it. But literally 2006 started having some other thoughts, a little bit of internal unrest that, you know, maybe there's something else I'm supposed to be doing. And, uh, you know, it took me until 2007 to finally personally commit. And it, it was really kind of a scary thing. Here I am uh, just in my thirties. I've got, uh, you know, two children and I haven't figured out quite how to explain it to my wonderful wife yet that, Hey, thinking about pulling out the rug from underneath the whole deal. And by the way, I don't know what plan C is going to be. <laughs> right, right. So I actually had uh, started down the path of psychology and my last semester, it was a few years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. And, you know, the last semester, I, I actually, two weeks into it, I was like, this is baloney. I'm, I'm working full time as a foreman for this guy. I really like construction. I love construction. I know I can make a great go of it. And so I went home and announced, you know, hey, sweetheart, guess what? I dropped out of school and I got my contractor's license all in the same day. And, you know, I thought she'd be excited, but she cried. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> that one didn't quite work out as intended. So, right. you know. Fast forward here uh, nearly 11 years later, and uh, I finally uh, developed the courage to tell her, hey, I'm winding it down. I don't have any additional contracts. We're just wrapping up this $1 million home, and uh, I'm going to go back to school. And much to my surprise, I actually expected the first result, which is the you know frustration and a little bit of crying. Yeah. He was incredibly supportive of that move. So I, I went back to school with the intent to finish the semester and apply for PA school. I knew I wanted to be in healthcare. Fortunately, biochemistry was required. And yeah. even though that class, I knew right then and there, I do not want to deliver 
actual healthcare. <laughs> <laughs> That's just not your lot in life, right? It was not, but I knew that I wanted to be in the industry. And so this was, you know, 2000, uh, well, it was now the fall, late fall of 2009. We actually had the legitimate catalog that you had to go get your classes through, right? Not, not online. Yet. It's an actual you know, book. It's like a phone book. You know, it looks like Sears Robot. Here, here we are, we're purchasing classes. And um, my wife said, hey, what about this class? This, this one looks like something you'd be interested in. It's called healthcare administration. Okay, let's do it. And uh, man, I was, I was uh, extremely fortunate to be in a class where, as, as you'll know, this name, Tracy Farnsworth was actually teaching. And Tracy is just a, a very uh, skilled teacher and presenter and uh, a master of, of individual engagement. And I knew in five minutes time that I was in the right spot. It was so visceral to me. I, I almost stood up to excuse myself out of class to go call my wife and just say, I found it. I found it. But from that moment on, it was a, a feverish race to acquire, you know, every class that you needed in order to actually obtain that, that degree. Um, sometimes I had to convince the instructors as well as the school to let me take some classes at the same time that normally they have to be in succession and was able to, to go through that uh, a little bit in a condensed form. And uh, from that point forward, I guess you could say the rest was history. I love it. I love it, love it, love it. And that took you to working for the Pocatello Women's Clinic, right? Yeah. So that last semester, I was kind of traveling all over the Western United States for interviews, um, you know, being flown down to California several times to uh, various other states. And then I told again my, my sweetheart that, uh, you know, come, come July, if we don't have anything, that's okay. You know, I've, I've signed up for continuation with my MBA and uh, I'll just take these you know last four weeks for the first time ever having a break right what would that be like yeah and uh, we'll just continue that on that course and so I had uh, functionally turned down a couple jobs in in the great state of California we won't go into the reasons behind that other than it's California right, <laughs> right. I've got I've got two siblings. Well, not only one. I guess the other one escaped. He loves it. Bless his heart. Oh yeah. But I'm not uh, eager to move my family there. And I I was actually called by the Pocatello Women's Health Clinic. I, I had a, another friend that was working there and had recommended my name to the physician ownership group. Called me up, and this is actually really kind of a funny story. So he calls me up and he says, "Hey, what are you doing? You know, just out of the blue." And uh, I lit that down on our couch because I was getting ready for my daughter to come home from school. And I was like, well, in all honesty, I'm literally sitting on the couch. And he says, well, can you be over here in 45 minutes? I'm like, absolutely. Well, you, you probably ought to put on a suit. All right. <laughs> <laughs> the good news was I actually already had a suit on because I had just finished another interview. So I run over there in 45 minutes. We review everything. And, uh, he was currently fulfilling the administrator position at the women's clinic. I had an opportunity to move over to Farm Bureau to be their, well, chief IT director for all of Farm Bureau. For the state oh, wow. Of and he's like, look, here's the deal. And we've been in a handful of classes together, you know, MBA classes. And, and he's, here's the deal, Jason. I've recommended you uh, to the physician owners. And at this point, uh, this job is yours to lose. <laughs> nice. 
that's kind of an interesting perspective. <laughs> right, right. No pressure there. Right. And uh, I was very, very fortunate that um, I was able to, to meet with the physician owners, be interviewed, and they offered me the position. And so um, actually, exactly June the 22nd, 2011, one of those dates you don't forget. And, Great anniversary. Uh, yep. Yeah, that was the, the first day that I started working for the Pope Toll in South Carolina. Tell me a little bit about what the clinic was like when you first got there. You know, I, you had sent me that question beforehand, and I, I spent a lot of time thinking about it. <laughs> so going down memory lane, right? Yeah. You know, my experience at the, the Pocatowans Health Clinic was fantastic. And that doesn't mean smooth sailing, but gosh, it was no. rich. They became a group back in 1999, actually January 1st. 1999 Articles of Incorporation were effective. And shortly after, they moved to what was known as the, the medical office building of Bannock Regional Hospital, uh, later to be Portneuf, and then later to be demoed. But mm-hmm. um, yeah. yeah, you know, so interesting enough, I mean, one of the physicians were, they actually were the, uh, the physician that delivered our children. And, you know, he remembers me as probably a guy in a t-shirt and Carhartts at one point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm Love glad it. that it worked against me. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I walked into a really interesting atmosphere. So, you know, when you hear the word group, you're like, oh man, everyone's on the same page. Everyone has the same goal. We're all moving the same direction. And uh, when you first walk into a new job, a new location, a new organization, you kind of, you're not timid, but you go into heavy observation of right. potentially the thought of being a sponge. I want to observe everything that's going on. You don't necessarily give a ton of input the first week or two of, you know, hey, I think you're, you know, we could do this or you could do that. You want to know the why. I think that's probably the best description. You want to know the why. Why are we doing this? How did we get to here? Right. Why is over here? Why do we have that form? So I spent, you know, the first handful of weeks for sure doing a ton of why, 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 why? Would you mind explaining? Hey, could you tell me what you do? Hey, why did blah, blah, blah. The, the layout of the organization, you came in through the door on the fourth floor of the MOB and it was a long, long hallway from basically the elevators all the way to the back clinic. But the structural layout was such that every clinic was a little isolated pod off the hallway. And so what I discovered quickly was that this is a quote-unquote group that has seven individual practices, and they very much do it their way. In fact, that, that became my laughing point mentally every time I would hear, well, in Dr. So-and-so's clinic, we do it the following way. Yeah. They even refer to it as separate clinics, right? Oh, absolutely. So it was, it was amazing. We literally advertised this book to women's health clinic. We met monthly, you know, as physician owners, we would have staff meetings, but then I quickly discovered that as soon as the staff meeting had ended with a, hey, here's the process for the organization, everyone went to their little spot and they did it their way. So that that was very much the state of that organization um, come 2011. What? Okay. So you're, you're a couple weeks in, maybe even a month or two. What did you decide to work on first? How did you decide to get started after the observation time was done? 
you know, I didn't even get to decide that, Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> Who told you what to do and what was that? <laughs> I think we are all uh, a fortunate victim of circumstances. So May 1st of 2011, the group had actually started construction of their now current location, which is the new medical office building uh, connected to the new Portneuf Medical Center in Pocatello. So day one, one of the things that, that I immediately had to start working on and address was not only the management of this um, several million dollar project that we were actually working on, but also the massive, how do we move an organization from one location to the next? And we've all moved homes or apartments and, and we know how fun that is. And then you, you move a, a medical clinic and it's, it's uh, that on steroids plus a couple monsters, right? Yes, exactly. And, you know, what, what became the reason I say we were victims of fortunate circumstance, this was a forced change for us. Right. I mean, everyone signed a dotted line. Hey, that's great. Let's build a new clinic. Well, let's sign the loans. But in between the signatures, they didn't understand the small print, which said, hey, there's going to be some operational changes. There's going to be some workflow changes. There's going to be potentially some staff changes, too. And so that's that really helped us start to identify the areas that needed to be addressed first. One of the things that we we truly attacked as a collective group was our reception counter. So old location, every individual doorway had an individual you know, waiting room with a receptionist there. New location, we had one singular reception. It almost, uh, you know, you were, you walked through it, looked kind of like yes. almost a pillar set up. Like a what? Say that again. Teller. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Like a bank teller line. Yep. So that was on... Let's say on paper and blueprints, it was a fantastic design. Right? It was, this is going to be easy. We'll all just line up. And as patients walk in, we'll just take care of them. It turns out that the nemesis of Dr. So-and-so, and it, not, it wasn't really necessarily the doctor, to be totally honest. As we find, you know, human nature always comes to the surface, right? So it more often than not was an individual staff had developed what they like as a process. And so they supported it by saying, well, my doctor wants me to do it this way. But as you start to peel the layers of the onion back, you're like, well, why does Dr. X like it this way? Is it a better way? And pretty soon, usually Dr. X will say, actually, I don't really care. Just <laughs> <laughs> now, my patients are happy. We're answering the phones in a quick response time. We're answering their concerns. I don't care how we do it. <laughs> <laughs> right. It, it really kind of boiled down to that. So that became um, a major focal point of how do we get a bunch of individuals to start truly becoming the group that we were always destined to be. And that that was a major undertaking. Have you ever, there's a Lencioni book, Politics, Silos, and Turf Wars. And it's all about how do you get, how do you get out of those things? And I'm imagining these seven silos but I guess his main focal point in that book is you got to find something to engage the whole team around, some sort of catalyst that you can all focus on. And what better one than to move the entire clinic from point A to point B? Yeah. What a great and, way to get the team around that. 
it, we spent, gosh, countless hours, Jesse, planning and working on that. So, you know, here I'm, I'm the latter part of June and uh, our go live date at the new location was actually, um, well, it was the first week of October. I can't remember if it was October 1st or if it's October 3rd exactly, but that was a short window yeah. to get all that. And uh, I can remember the last week in September, we actually moved our administrative and business office up there first. And man, we were we were grateful to do that. We, you know, we purposely did it to do kind of a, a networking shakedown. And, and of yeah. course, as new networks, there's always a hiccup or two, but it gave us a good window of like, ooh, we've got a lot. Yeah, better to test it on the manager than on the doctor, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So... But it, you know, it, it was uh, really an amazing event. Um, so, you know, October 2011, we uproot and land. And um, then we spent the next handful of years improving the organization as a whole. You know, really recently I went through Intermountain Healthcare's ATP course, which is a highly recommended course. If anyone's thinking about it or has the opportunity, I would definitely recommend it. It is just a, a wonderful course. You said it's an ATP course? Yeah. So effectively, it's, it's an executive MBA abbreviated version. Internationally recognized, we had uh, individuals in our semester from the UK, and it was wonderful. You know, East Coast, all over the place. But one of the things that, um, many of the things, but uh, Dr. Todd Allen uh, was the director of the program, and he points out that to do cultural change, it takes 10 years. And when wow. you hear it, you're like, oh, there's no hope for me then. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm not waiting around for year nine and a half for it to take effect. And that's actually not what, what he was actually trying to convey. What he was really trying to convey was to really change a culture, you have to have a commitment of 10 years. Recently at, at Bingham Memorial, we just applied a new physician and mid-level um, performance report card uh, process. And it's it's been a tremendous undertaking. And I've been very fortunate to be working on the team uh, to do this. And one of the doctors at the the uh, receipt of the second report card said, well, you know, how, how long do you guys intend to do this? And I said, well, great news, doc. We've only got 118 more months to go. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's like, what? <laughs> but, you know, it, it um, kind of circling back to, to the women's clinic, when you look at the challenges that we were facing, it's so easy to finally get a little forward momentum on what is um, perceived and defined as an improvement. And then you quickly adjust your resources to what's you know, the perceived next hotspot or low hanging fruit opportunity. And if you don't have the 10-year perspective, what will happen is organizationally, you're not reporting or monitoring the previous improvement. And so it starts to go to the wayside. And now you're getting traction over here on this new identified area only to find a year later. It's like, what do you, what do you mean? We, when did we stop doing that? Right. <laughs> so it, it's truly a balancing consideration when you identify individual capacity, organizational capacity, and ultimately organizational goals. You know, 
what's our capacity to manage and maintain these quality improvements? And within healthcare, we find that everything that we're engaged in truly requires quality improvement, right? Part of it is that variability functionally generates waste. And with variability and waste, you can never achieve lean. And if you can't achieve lean, how are you ever going to achieve six sigma, which is truly zero harm? It's impossible. Yep. Right. And so that's, that's the, the interesting process. And, and, uh, you know, to continue that loop around, if you achieve lean in the process, you will obtain six sigma zero harm. And in order to do that, there is no way that you can't obtain cultural change. Right? It, it is a flow process. If you start anywhere else, I think you can still do it. Personally, I do. I think it's actually more difficult. Uh, if you start at zero harm, well, how do you do that without addressing waste and variability? Right? Yeah. So the more that you dive into it, the more you start to recognize kind of the, the simplistic elements that need to be approached first. And if you're able to then help convey those elements to your team members, moving forward beyond that point becomes much more natural. Not always easy, but natural. Yeah. You don't get into healthcare to, to do the easy thing. That's for sure. Oh, so I follow those buttons. They don't work. <laughs> right. <laughs> Jason, tell me how you knew that you had made some genuine headway with the Pocatello Women's Clinic in, in what you were trying to do, changing culture, this big transition, converting from seven practices to one. How did you, how did you, what were the signs or measurements that told you, hey, we've, we've progressed, we've, we've been successful in this so far? You know, again, I thought quite a bit about that and I wrote down far too many notes. <laughs> <laughs> However, there's a couple things that, that I really focus on, Jesse, on that one. So one of it was financial sustainability. Right? That, to me, that was something that was never really focused on. And uh, we did a lot of work in that area. And ultimately, we achieved that. We achieved defined goals on that. And a ton of that, I mean, we had to measure, obviously, of course, tons of spreadsheets, right? Thank you, Excel. Right but also um, a collaborative partnership with, with a great accountant. And um, as well as I actually had to, to engage our legal counsel as well to potentially, well, we had some of our bylaws that the intent and the word didn't quite match up. Right. And so one of the, the other things that I really liked was just workflow. So everything we do in healthcare now is electronic, right? Even though it's electronic and it's supposed to reduce paper. That's that's a farce. Yeah, uh, not always true, for sure. There's still a lot of paper involved, but our EMR it was uh, an OBGYN specific EMR. It was called DigiChart, and uh, you know there was there's a lot of angst, like all EMRs, right? I've, I've yes. never been to any place that says our EMR is wonderful. I can't wait to engage it. <laughs> now. There are EMRs that are fantastic and smooth. I love that description. The flow works incredibly well. And there are others that are not as smooth and, and clunky. However, DigiChart, which we had, the staff had presented as clunky. And uh, they were correct. But instead of blaming our vendor, 
to start with, we started to go back to the why. You know, why is it clunky? I never ran an OBGYN clinic up to that point. You know, learning. I want to know the flows, right? Okay, tell me uh, what we do with this situation, what we do with that situation. Well, when you had a paper chart, what would we do? And why doesn't it do something similar? Basically, we, we engaged the team first to really kind of find the hot spots that didn't work. And then we, before we went in the blame game, we actually wanted to make sure that uh, we were basically uh, of no error. <laughs> right, right. Is it us? Before you go and say, it's got to be you. And that approach was difficult. I was really shocked by that um, because, you know, the, the docs, they just want it to automatically, right? It's, a, it's electronics. It automatically works. Well, right. Not necessarily. <laughs> There's inputs and outputs. <laughs> yes. Yes, automatically. I love that. Yeah, our IT director at uh, Bingham actually kind of coined that. And I think it's a great description of how we all perceive (laughs) the IT world. It's just automatic. Yes, I love your, Jason, I love your approach to asking, you know, to to make sure that we're in a place of zero error. It is so easy to dump on your EHR and just be like, man, this EHR sucks. Their support sucks. Everything's terrible. It's so easy to just go there, but that doesn't help you get anything fixed ever. That is the easiest way to just say, I'm not going to do anything about it. Tell me if you've not had this experience. So the EHR suddenly stops, right? Of course, everyone in the organization is frustrated. And the longer it goes, a sense of panic sets in for all of us. Absolutely. On is it not? Do we schedule? Do we call? I don't know. I don't even know who's on the schedule because it's frozen. <laughs> and so, what do you do? You call the support, right? And it doesn't matter. Hey, EHR XYZ. Hey, you guys froze. And the very first thing that that help desk person will say, "It's not us. It's you." Did you check your internet? That is the first thing they'll say every time. Did you check their internet? And so, Jesse, I didn't approach it. I, I've got to be fully honest here. Full disclosure. We didn't approach the HR originally as check us first before we ask you. It was, hey, it's you. It's not us. And of course, they get immediate pushback. Nope, not us. It's working fine here in Nashville. I don't know what your problem is. (laughs) Yeah. So we started to go, okay, if we have any connectivity issues before we ever make a call, we want to make sure that we can validate that the internet's up. That, And of course, just a quick, simple ping test take a snapshot of the ping test, go back to our server and make sure our servers, I mean, all this takes a matter of just a minute or two to validate, right? So go through very quickly, validate that our connectivity is in place. If it's not in place, then we place the call. So I was there for the very first time that uh, our IT director made that call. And man, what a a very fortunate opportunity for us organizationally to have that individual, Paul Krumweedy, who's now moved on and, and you know, he's worked not only for DigiChart, they actually ended up stealing him. <laughs> of course. You get somebody good and they're like, oh, that guy. <laughs> yeah, it was wonderful. We all knew that that was going to probably happen and I'm grateful it did. But Paul called and he's like, hey guys, we're having connectivity issues. Here's a, a validation of our internet connectivity. Here's the server. Here's this. Here's that. Here's that. And this was the next most important key. I don't know what to do next. What would you recommend? No blame was laid. And instantly, we got a different response. Instantly. 
And from that moment forward, I was like, man, I think we both just had an aha moment. Like, holy smokes, this is, this is going to work. Yeah. <laughs> and so I've applied that with everything. I mean, if you have any piece of medical equipment and suddenly you've, you've got an issue and you've got to call your vendor, it's quickly, let's validate. Is it us? Do we have it plugged in right? Did we do this? Did we do that? And then you give them the list. Hey, we're having some difficulty. Um, we did this. We did that. We did this. We did that. I don't know what else to do. What would you recommend? Instantly different, different support every time, right? Instead of yeah. your $1.2 million machine isn't working. I've got a doctor super mad and it's your fault. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't get you anywhere. No, An no, all caps email to them also doesn't get you anywhere. <laughs> I will project this anger through email. Yes. <laughs> Well, let me, let me throw this at you and, and you tell me if this summarizes what you're, what you're thinking. Sometimes you can tell the success of your work by the numbers. You know, the, the production goes up, the financials are doing better. Things are humming that way. But sometimes it's just that you've been able to apply sound management philosophy to a situation you have asked why. And your group is asking why now. It's not just you. You are looking to yourself first rather than taking the easy path and dumping on the vendor or, or the outside entity. You're taking a better approach to them. And again, like I said, you're seeing this approach played out by staff and doctors and not just you anymore. That, that to me is a sign of success, a cultural change inside a practice. Yeah, I would agree with that for sure, Jesse. I mean, you you do have to definitely measure by the numbers. I'm going to jump forward a little bit to, to Bingham Healthcare. And so our physician service organization, we have 11 managers. And there are numbers that I look on the business analytics side that will make sense to me, but I send it to the manager who is the boots on the ground of that location or locations. And I ask him one critical sentence. Does this make sense? Right? Because it's, it may show, hey, doctor so-and-so, you know, they're seeing on average X amount of patients per day. They're working four days a week in the clinic, one OR day. We're generating on average blah, blah, blah per patient encounter. You know, the doc's making his uh, work RVU to encounter ratio is matching up to MGMA. That's great. but in the end, you may find, well, technically right now, we're uh, financially in the red just a little. And does that, does that make sense, right? So I, it's kind of the wet finger approach, right? Lick your finger, put it up. Which way does the wind actually blow? Because the weatherman said from the West, but you don't know that until you step outside. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I love providing that. Here's the data. Now let's make sure that what you actually experience matches up and feels like what the data says, right? And if it doesn't, it doesn't mean the data is wrong either, by the way. Then it just is a, a collaborative effort. Well, let's look to see where the inaccuracies are. Sometimes, well, here, here's one of my other favorites, right? When do you know your clinic's busy? When the doctor tells you. <laughs> when I say that a little facetiously, I mean, I don't, don't intend to offend anyone by, by saying that, but, but how many times... When you ask, well, what, what were the benchmarks used to set this clinic volume? And when it really comes down to it, it's like, well, the staff says they're super busy. Right. 
I'm sure they are. I actually absolutely am sure they are. Again, natural human behavior, right? If, if I'm employed to be present in a clinic for eight hours a day and I feel committed to my employer, I'm going to find something to be busy eight hours a day. Right? Yeah. I want to provide value for that trade. Yeah. Not, not everyone has that, but I truly believe most people really, hey, for the trade of getting some money, for being present, I need to present something. And so why is it that when we have a snow day and so we have an unusually high, you know, 30% no-show rate, everyone's still super busy? Well, because they find something to go yeah. do. Good intent. Right? They have good work ethic. They can't sit still, yeah. right? And, and so you, you can't fault them for that. But what I love is, is to then go validate. Okay, let's validate what would be expected? What, where's our break even point on this? What does, you know, MGMA say as a comparison? And again, I never shoot for, hey, got to be the median. I always shoot for the median. We're, if right. you're the median, perfect. That's not true. You're depending on the location. You can, you can kind of mentally thinking of how MGMA has everything listed out. You can kind of move from all the way over in the 80th, and 90th percentile all the way down to the 10th, all in the same analysis with the same person at the same location, right? Everything's got its performing. They have to decide, does that actually work? Is that something that we have some area of opportunity? I had a wonderful experience at, um, again, at the women's clinic with uh, our ultrasound department. Our ultrasound department, we have some just incredibly gifted and skilled sonographers there. But ultimately, we had a department that could not service the need. When we had, you know, 175 to nearly 200 patient encounters a day, but two sonographers that were only providing around seven ultrasounds each, which is obviously a total of 14, it just didn't match up. When I got into the why, so why are we doing this? What's, what's an average ultrasound? Well, it came down to, well, you know, the team told us that this is what they can do. Now, when you go and look at regional metrics as well as national metrics, those numbers are significantly different than the ones that were being presented to us. Right. We were able to, and you know, there was a ton of resistance too, as you can imagine, because now we're going to increase their workload, make the day busier for sure. And you've got to weigh that. Where is the line where quality suddenly starts to dip down too, right? That's right. sure that you don't cross that line because the, the last thing you want to do at the ex, you know, expense of the bottom line is to deliver a worse patient experience with lower quality. Yep. You can't, so um, anyways, you know, long story short with that, we established actually some very reasonable nationally accepted benchmarks of how many ultrasounds a day could actually be performed. And we expanded from two machines to three machines and had a much higher rate of being able to service our true ultrasound need for that clinic. That's awesome. Well, Jason, let me wrap up this first episode with, I think that the keys that you've given me and our audience, as far as getting a group to change, to transition, it starts with observation and it moves through asking why a whole bunch of times, right? You, you spoke to Lean and Six Sigma. The, the one, I can't remember of which one the, the concept of asking why five times lands in, but that's, it take, in order to get people to change, you have to be able to speak to the subject. You can't just jump in and start throwing opinions and you have to hear them out. 
And I'm sure that just by doing those two things, you gained your expertise to be able to get them on board. You just can't get people to move unless you have that already in place. I totally would agree. I wish I could say that 100% of the time, Jesse, 100% of the people are on board. You're not going to get that. That's for yeah. sure. And, uh, you know, it's it's sad when you can't get everyone on the same bus. But as long as, as you've approached it reasonably, um, as long as you are open to always receiving new information that could totally change the destination, I really do think that the team will make the right decisions. Amen. You can't rule by consensus. Consensus isn't that everybody agrees with it. Consensus is that we've hashed this out, gotten enough people on board, and now everybody supports it. Like whether they agreed with it at the beginning or not, we all get on board to make it work. Jason, thank you for being on here. I'm excited to talk with you about in the next episode about being a memorial and, and, and kind of the vision there. Thanks, Jesse. For all of our listeners, before you head off, make sure you hit that subscribe button so you stay up to date with all the new information and episodes coming from the MedMan Podcast. We'll see you all soon. Thanks for tuning into the MedMan Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's featured guest. For the show notes, transcripts, resources, and everything else MedMan does to help you level up, be sure to visit us at MedMan.com.